0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coach's Corner. I think you're really going to enjoy my talk today with my friend Jason Nazar. He's a super successful entrepreneur and just a really bright, cool guy. And I love talking about business. I I love being an entrepreneur, and I love helping people build their business. You may know I have a program called Secret Sauce, where I train people how to really build their business, how to be purposeful and profitable. And so if you want to know more about that, just go to christinehassler.com, click on the work with me tab and you'll see the training program and you can learn more about secret sauce. We're in the midst of taking applications now. It's a small program. So if you're interested, reach out soon. If you can't find the link, just email Jill Jill at ChristineHassler.com, and she'll hook you up with the application and more details. All right. So let me tell you a little bit more about Jason before we get into our talk. He's an active tech entrepreneur, investor, and writer, and the CEO of Comparably, the online platform to understand workplace compensation and culture. Before Comparably, Jason founded DocStock, the largest content site to help small businesses. Over seven years, DocStock was one of the most visited websites in the world and grew to over 50 million members before it was acquired by Intuit in 2013. Jason also created and hosts Startups Uncensored, the longest running and most widely attended technology gathering in SoCal. I've been to many of them and we'll talk about them in the show. He is also serving as the entrepreneur-in-residence for the city of Los Angeles, appointed by Mayor Garcetti, pretty cool. He's a frequent and popular writer on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, and Business Insider. Jason is just an all-around cool guy. I know you'll get a lot from this interview. So now on to my talk with Jason Nazar. Hey, Jason. So thank you so much for being on Coach's Corner.
1: Thank you, Christine, for having me.
0: So you do a lot, and I've really seen you grow over the past, I don't know, gosh, three to five years that I've known you. I just, I lose track of time, but it's been a while. And you are a tech entrepreneur. You're an inv- investor and advisor. You're a writer-speaker. You run a community called Startups Uncensored. You you do a lot. And every time I see you, you also have a smile on your face and you seem really calm. (laughs) So how do you keep yourself motivated in doing all of this? Where does that motivation come
1: from for you? It it may not sound the most PC, but I think the motivation comes from my ego (laughs) (laughs) Or, or or wanting to satisfy it. I think, you know, we all have a vision for what we want our life to be or how we want to be perceived. And I think in my case, I, I, I want to be somebody that you know, is known for doing a lot of good, for being um, helpful, for adding something meaningful to this world, and you know, hopefully for being charismatic and interesting and a little different than everybody else. And so I think the things that I do are a reflection of the person that I hope to be.
0: I love that answer. It was so honest. And I think the ego gets a really bad rap, especially in the personal transformation industry. But we're we're humans. We have an ego. So we might as well come into right relationship with it and use it for good and use it in a way that that motivates us. But the tricky thing is, and I'm wondering if you ever encounter this, that sometimes that motivation can be in being really hard on ourselves on thinking that we need to like do more, um, to be more accepted, to, to prove something. So how do you keep the motivation focused on vision and really what you want to create and how you want to impact versus it being compensatory for something we feel we're missing?
1: I think that's kind of the, one of the key questions. I, I can tell you, that I think a lot, a lot of what we do in life is to give ourselves a feeling. And I think really ambitious people are trying to prove themselves, are trying to I, – I think our egos are one of the most important things in the sense that most things I think we do are to satiate our egos and probably more men than women. But we, we have a – it's what validates our sense of importance. It's what validates our sense of purpose – and belonging in the world. And so to what you said, I think the key is to try to tap in and leverage your ego to get the things you want in life and then to know how to prevent it from putting you in those areas that you're you're your own worst enemy, which we often are. I think in my case, I've had, again, an image for the person that I wanted to be and I've pursued that and I've watched other successful people in different areas of life—career, relationship, uh, health—do that. And I think, it, in my case, one of the things I've tried to do is say, "What feel like? What feelings do I want to have? What what things? If there's a really there's a really powerful question that I started asking myself in my mid 30s when I was in the midst of, of running my last company, which was. If you've achieved everything that you wanted to in life, how would you how would you feel? And can you give yourself permission to feel that along the way? And so I don't know if I have a set answer for you, but I think that people that are striving to do something and people that feel lost are always struggling between how do I pursue the dreams of my ego without it getting in the way and tripping me up more?
0: Yeah, because really, like you you really hit the nail on the head when you said it's about the process. I think we get so fixated on the result. And that's where the ego can kind of get in our way when we think we've only made it or we're only going to feel that way when we get to point X, Y, Z, whatever that may be. But it's so much about the desire. It's the feeling. It's so much of why well, I love Danielle Laporte's work. Are you familiar with her work about desire maps?
1: I've heard of desire map. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with
0: her. Yeah, it's all about like we think that we're chasing the thing, but we're really chasing how we want to feel. So if we can focus on how we want to feel in that moment, that even if we don't have the end goal or the outcome yet, we can have the feeling that, that we want to have. So I love that you're bringing this up because I think that whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, especially successful entrepreneurs, such a big part of it is mindset even more so than strategy, it's it's mindset, it's attitude. And I know you're a successful entrepreneur and you've interviewed a lot of successful entrepreneurs. You've also worked with entrepreneurs that probably are getting in their own way. So can you talk a little bit about mindset and the importance of that and how you see people, whether it come to be in their business or other aspects of their life, get in their own way when it comes to what they're thinking and their mindset.
1: Yeah, I'll give you two paradigms that I kind of live by that, that touch on mindset. And so for, for anything big that you want to achieve in life, so whether it's in business or in health or anything you want to do, you know, one thing I've talked about for about 10 years is start with your why. And a lot of people, especially in the context of business, will, will come up to me all the time and they'll say, you know, I want to start something. What do I do or how should I do it? and i always say those are great questions but the, they those questions don't matter at all the only question that matters to start is why meaning what's your why and you have a big burning reason and a passion for doing that thing that you say you want to do because if you don't have a big why and if you're not connected to it you'll always use the what and the how as an excuse to not do that thing you said you were going to do and you know a lot of folks talk about this tony robbins talks about this that you know, decisions are made in a split second. Like we can think that, oh, it took us 10 years to get to a place where we were going to stop smoking or lead a healthier lifestyle or, you know, change the way that we saw our relationships with men or women. But we actually make that decision in a split second. And what happens is in that split second, we connect some why to an outcome that we want to have. And that why starts driving us. And I would say I think that's the first biggest part of what successful people do from a mindset is that they have they have a burning reason that pushes them towards the goal they want to achieve, whatever that goal is in whatever context of life. And really to focus on an outcome before feeling attached emotionally to what's going to drive you to that outcome will always prevent you from getting there the second thing that i think really successful people have a knack to do is that they either intuitively or consciously or some combination of both get to the heart of a matter it's my sec my second general principle on this mindset is that very successful people know that it's a tiny percentage of things that we ever do that lead to these overarching big results we want to get. So I often talk in the context of my company, I literally ask every single person in our company to start the day and to write down on a little post-it note besides them, what's the single most important thing I have to get done today, this week, and this month to be successful. And I often tell them, if you only solve for that, if you only solve for that, we will be successful as a company. And it's the same thing in the context, you know, whether... I'm sure there's folks listening to your podcast that, you know, feel just like a general sense of malaise and being lost in life, which is a lot of what you talk about for 20 year olds, you know, I call it like, you know, like the 20 year old, like malaise, where you just kind of, yeah, like the mid 20 malaise, the
0: quarter life crisis,
1: crisis. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people feel have, you know, feeling issues around body image, I'm sure people are feeling lost in their career are dealing with you know, relationships, whether it was their family or romantic relationship. And we often jumble all the stuff together, but I, I generally think that at any given time, there's one key thing that we need to work on in life. And if we just focused on that single thing and, and made it better by driving towards an outcome that we want, driven by the why, it will, it will most affect everything else. And I think what really successful people are able to do is across their whole life, but certainly compartmentalizing in specific areas like business. They can focus on, they can have the mindset of saying, this is the single most important thing I have to do to be successful. And so, you know, just to make it really specific, whenever somebody's starting a new business, you know, you can get the prettiest business cards and you can write great business plans and you can go all the network meetings, but until you get customers and those customers are either, you know, paying you or helping to drive your business, nothing else really matters. And so people that have a good sense, like, you know, you built up your coaching practice and your events and you you focus on the fact that you provide a lot of value to people and they want to go to your retreats and they want to hire you for coaching and they want to buy your books and successful people have that mindset to know the single most important thing they have to do to get to that next step.
0: I love both of those principles. And just to rehash the three things you write down every day is what is the most important thing I have to do today this week and this month to be successful
1: yeah this yeah the simple idea is let's just put it in the context of business you can apply it to any context of life right like the, the biggest area of life I'm falling down is health. Like I'm overweight still. Like there's really only one thing I need to do during the day to be successful and that's to keep my mouth closed more often. <laughs> Seriously.
0: Unless you're giving great advice like you are now.
1: <laughs> I, all I really need to do in life, like if I just did one thing in life, which is like open my mouth less and chew less, like everything in my life would be better, right? <laughs> For other people, it's different things. Like in the context of a business you're trying to start, there's usually one thing, just one thing. That if you nailed, it would make the biggest difference in your business. Now, the problem is that one thing is often the hardest thing to accomplish. So we avoid it, and we postpone it, and we do lots of other stuff to do. Like, we build up these, you know, I say it, I say it jokingly, we build up these STDs. Like, nobody likes STDs. We all like having completions. So we spend time answering a bunch of emails and we take a lunch meeting and we do a call and we organize things and you know we work on different things that don't make a difference. At the end of the day, we're like, oh wow, I I I did so many things and I have so many things to do. And you know, we we make our self-image in the context of business so often, there's so much I still have to do. Yet if someone was that person's coach, just like you do for people, looking over their shoulder they could probably identify and say, you know what, 95% of what you did today, this week, this month, isn't going to have any material difference on getting you to the key goal that you want to get to. But if you did this one thing and you, and you focused on it and you didn't leave doing that one thing until you mastered it or at least got it to a certain level, that's where all the benefit, that's where all the progress would come from. And so the, the challenge is identifying that item and staying disciplined enough to focus on it until you achieve the goal that you set out to, to get.
0: Mm. And I think sometimes those things can be internal things too. Sometimes they're a task to complete and something, sometimes it's just something you need to deal with like inside yourself in your life. Maybe that, the one thing you need to do this month is to get somebody to help you with whatever you need to to get over and on with. And I just have to ask, in this, does, does STD stand for something in this story? Like, do you have another abbreviation for it? Like, silly task distractions or something like that?
1: It's shit to do.
0: <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I have blonde moments. Okay, so now that we talked about the why, let's talk about the what a little more because a lot of people – want to do something like they want to be an entrepreneur make an impact in some way or bring people together and you've done all these things very successfully so I want to Talk a little bit about Doc Stock, and then talk a little bit about Startups Uncensored because Stock was a com- company that you built. So I'd love to know how you got the idea for that, like how you got your what. And then also, so Startups Uncensored is, is not only, you know, bringing entrepreneurial advice and thought leaders together, but it's also forming community. There's amazing community that happens at, at the events you've created. Can you take us through how you got to the what for both of those?
1: Sure, and then I'll I'll quickly add in the the most recent company too. So DotStock was the last internet company I started. I started in two thousand seven, coming out of business school and law school. It was it turned into be the largest content site to help um, start and grow small businesses. At our peak, we had thirty million unique monthly visitors, and when we sold the company to Intuit, we had fifteen million registered members worldwide. And it's really just started as youtube for documents so i was finishing grad school i was running a consulting company and my clients were always looking for business plans and financial models and all sorts of different documents and legal contracts and so i thought there should be a place where you could go to get virtually any document that you needed for your business most specifically legal and business documents and and that's the what of how it started and uh I honestly didn't really overanalyze how great of an idea it was. I don't think, in retrospect, it's that unique or different of an idea. It was more just the action that was taken around the idea, and I, I often think and you know talk and write about the fact that people get too hung up on having the perfect idea. There's no perfect idea. Uh, execution is execution is ninety percent of the battle, and the idea is, you know, I think ten percent of it.
0: Oh, that's so! I just have to stop you for a second because that's so key. That's so key, and I see a lot of women, especially, stop themselves because they think they have to have the perfected idea, and they wait and they wait and they wait and they don't start taking action. So I just am echoing what you're saying because it's brilliant and it's so important. It's about execution. Don't wait for the most perfect unique idea in the world or the most perfect website or the most perfect business card. Just start. So thank you for that. All right.
1: Yeah. You know, I've, I think it's oddly enough, it's, it's a challenge that women have more. It's also a challenge that really smart people have. And, And what I mean by that is some of the smartest people I've ever met, both men and women, you know, folks that really excelled academically and went to Harvard's and Yales. They, they tend to see the world as there's a, there's a right or wrong answer or there's a, like, there's a best way or a worst way to do something. And whereas you know, also a lot of women are very conscious about you know, how are people going to perceive this and you know, am I really doing something the right way, a lot of times what serves us really well in the context of entrepreneurship is naivete. You know, It's that person that's not afraid to fall on their face and look stupid or have it not work out that is successful just because they put themselves in the right place at the right time. And so I often try to, you know, advise any aspiring entrepreneur, you know, if, if you know that starting a business is something that you have to do in your life and you're ready to do that at this point in your life, just honestly pick, like take a weekend, pick an idea and and go forward with it. Like the, the, this long, protracted process, the number of times, I, I, literally people must have told me a thousand times, oh, you know, I would love to start a business right now, but I just don't have an idea for it. To me, that means they actually don't have a big enough why. Like if they had a big enough why to start the business, they would find an idea because there's so many out there and there's so many things to do and they would just go at it. And again, they're using the what being, oh, I don't have the right idea as an excuse to not do that thing that they said they were going to do. Um, so yeah, I, I think execution is 90, 95% of the battle and, and the idea is 5 or
0: 10%. Agreed. And if I had waited until I felt ready or something was perfect before I put stuff out there or put myself out there, it would have delayed me by years. I don't even know if I ever would have started. I had to just take steps and put things out there and – and fall on my face a couple times and make some mistakes, but that was how that was part of the building process. So that's one of the. I think uh, most entrepreneurs and business owners are pretty honest about this. We're all pretty honest about hey, it wasn't always easy. We've made mistakes. Yet I feel like people that are starting their own business or aspiring entrepreneurs put this unrealistic expectation on themselves to have it all figured out. So you're hearing encouragement from both Jason and I. Just begin execute take action so
1: when did you when did you take your first coaching client how old were you when you had your very first coaching client that that paid you money like for, 20, for doing coaching
0: 25, 25 20, actually no 20 26 27 something like that
1: were you nervous Oh hell
0: yeah. I was sweating. Oh my gosh, the first time I got up on stage to speak, I had to wear all black because like I knew I was just going to sweat right through my clothes. I I was so nervous, absolutely. Absolutely. I never I did not feel quote-unquote ready, but I knew my why. I I felt a big enough call to share what I was learning with other people and help people. And that's what got me over the nervousness. Thank you for asking that.
1: So the, here's the thing that I think is really fascinating and interesting is that um, entrepreneurship is, it's like playing any sport. The best example I can give people is, let's say somebody wanted to learn basketball. I've played basketball my whole life. You could sit them down in the classroom and have the most famous basketball players of all time explain what to do and how to shoot and how to move. You could have them read books. You could watch thousands of hours of basketball. And none of that would be even as close to just going out and playing for one week. Literally, just playing for a week straight. And the reason is there's certain things that we have to learn to start, that we have to learn to begin with experientially. And then we can add in the refinement academically. And that perfectly encapsulates entrepreneurship and starting a business. What you learned doing that first coaching session and that first speaking on stage was infinitely more valuable than all the advice that probably people have told you about speaking and coaching that came before that, which was probably hours and hours and hours and hours for multiple people that were smart. But you had to experientially go through that. And as soon as you did, your learning curve immediately jumped up so high, right? It was like there was no time that you were ever learning and growing and getting better as a coach and as a speaker than that first, second, third, fourth time that you did it. And the mistake that people make is that they do exactly what you said. They think, oh, I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I don't have enough money. Yet you never actually get the, the learning that you need until you just start doing it. And so, you know, going back to what you often write about for 20-year-olds, you know, I wish I was 20, like two zero again, and I started my first business then because there's so much advantage you get to just starting early. And um, I think that's the thing that people miss, of, of how, how much you learn experientially and that you have to start that process as early as possible.
0: If you could go back and tell your twenty year old self or early twenty something self something, what would it be? Would it be just begin, get out there and get experience? What advice would you give to yourself back then?
1: I mean, I think the first advice I would have given is is how to have more sex. <laughs> because I was, late <laughs> I was always self-conscious. And so it'd be like, Hey, here are the things I know at thirty-seven that I didn't know at twenty. Uh, that's fantastic that's, that's, I mean if we're being honest that's the very first thing I would give myself <laughs> oh advice my gosh
0: on. the 20 something guys are like oh my gosh I hope he tells us what that is <laughs> yeah.
1: it's really nothing more than just have confidence I mean as I've gotten yep. I mean I'm married now for two and a half years you know but as I've gotten older I like I have less hair I'm more out of shape but you know when I was single and I was older it it had never been more easy to meet people and you know have different experiences and it's, and it's just simply a function of confidence and I think one of the, the most attractive quality in any human being, whether it's in the context of romance or business or following people around a political or religious movement, is certainty. Right? So there's this talk that I've given for many years called the 21 Principles of Persuasion. And I end with this, which is the last principle, which is the single biggest aphrodisiac, the single biggest thing that attracts somebody to somebody else is certainty. We all live lives where we question and doubt so much about ourselves and our place in the world and the world itself and what's going to happen. That when somebody has certainty, when they feel, when they just exude confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in an outcome, we all want to be around them. It's the business leader that's absolutely confident in her vision for the company that she's going to build that attracts other people to come on before there's even the money to pay their salaries because they just want to be part of this journey with her. And so it, it, it you know, <laughs> there's no bigger lesson for my 37 year old self to tell my 20 year old self around how to have more sex other than you just have to be more confident. Um, and fortunately, that applies in a whole lot of areas, lives to a whole lot of you know different things.
0: Yeah, it really does. And so much of confidence is about what we tell ourselves inside our own heads. You know, it doesn't. Yes, experience helps, but it a high level of self acceptance and and watching that internal commentary we have our about ourselves in in our head. Um, but I, am this, that's that, that's the one beautiful, well, there's, there's several things that come with aging, but I agree with you. My 37 year old self definitely feels way more confident than my 21 year old self for sure. For sure. Um, all right. So we didn't get to startups uncensored and comparably. Do you have a little time to talk about those two things?
1: Sure. So along the way at Stock, we we, you know, we're based in Los Angeles. We moved to Santa Monica pretty early on. You know, since we were a company that had raised venture capital and was relatively high profile, people would reach out to me all the time for business advice. And so what I started doing is I said, okay, I'm going to do this monthly event. Everybody can come by. And what I'm going to do is instead of me being the person giving advice, I'm going to get somebody wickedly smart and accomplished And I'll interview them and have them talk about their journey and story. So we've done 50 of these events. It's not a business. We don't make money off of it. And, you know, we've had the founder and CEOs of Box and AngelList and TechCrunch and uh, SurveyMonkey and just, you know, a whole list of huge companies, folks in L.A. like Brian Lee, who started ShoeDazzle and Honest Company and LegalZoom. and so it's a great list of folks. You can actually go to my website, jasonazar.com, and you can see all the videos of all the past events. And it's just me interviewing them on stage, and they talk about their journey, and then we open it up. And I think because of who the guests are and because we've done it with so much regularity, you know, we'll typically have anywhere from three to 600 people come out to the events. And they're usually folks that are in the tech community as you know, either entrepreneurs or folks trying to start a business or investors or, you know, the engineers and product and designers working at those companies. Um, and so that's the event. And then I sold my last company, Doc Stock, in 2013. Took a little bit of time. Um, and then about a year and a half later, um, started working on my new company called Comparably. And what we basically do is we help people see how much they should be getting paid by showing them what their peers are making. And we let employees publicly rate their companies. And the whole mission is to make work more rewarding by making workplace compensation and culture dramatically more transparent. So, you know, for any of your listeners that are trying to figure out, am I underpaid? You know, what are my peers getting paid? They can just go to comparably.com and, you know, put in any job title in any location and we'll have, salary data, we can show them of how much they should be making.
0: I love it. I'm sure that a lot of people are really going (laughs) to take advantage of that website. And for people that are in LA or in the LA area come to a startups uncensored event there and and even if you're not entrepreneur tech entrepreneur it's a you learn so much Jason does a great job of interviewing the person it's always amazing guests and it's a really great community of people I always I always meet really great inspiring people there so come it's it's an awesome community thank you for creating it Jason
1: well thank you for being part of it
0: last question for you what's your why
1: Well, my why's changed, you know, and I think it, it, it as it should for different parts of life. When I when I started when I started Docstock, so my why has often been that I wanted to, I wanted the world to see me as I saw myself. I wasn't. you know, a popular kid growing up, especially, you know, like in middle school and early high school, I was an absolute outcast. You know, I just, I didn't, I was socially awkward. I talked too much. I didn't, I wasn't part of like a popular group of kids. Like I played sports a lot and that was my salvation. Um, But I never felt like I fit in. I always felt like an outsider. And so that's how I kind of developed my identity. But I was, you know, people were like people would recognize me for either being smart or crafty and being a good public speaker, which I used to enter like contests and win, which when you're thirteen, unfortunately, certainly doesn't help your popularity when you're doing speech contests. And so I always felt like the outsider and I kind of embraced that role to the point that I I made my identity. How am I gonna be different than everybody else? How can I really stand out? How can I earn the respect of other people? And My why was driven by the fact that I wanted to achieve a level of success doing something that I was really proud of and I thought helped people so that the rest of the world saw me the way that I wanted them to see me, right? And that's why I'm saying it was largely a validation of my ego, wanting to validate my ego as like a worthwhile person that belonged oddly enough as I get older I want to spend time with less and less people. I care, you know, like, when we're young, we often, like, we value so much this word popularity. I mean, it's, like, the key word. It's so emotionally driven. Are you popular? And as you get older, you want to be less popular. You want to have less people to deal with and less, you know, obligations. And, you know, often, at least in my case, like, uh, I I I really cherish my anonymity because I do do a lot of things publicly. I would say, now my why is... Um, is more to really just to be happy because the eight years that I was running DocSock, it was extremely rewarding it turned out to be rewarding financially for a whole lot of folks and um, I learned a lot I grew both emotionally and, and physically literally I grew I gained about 50 pounds from when I first started the company um, but I wasn't, I wasn't that happy along the way I was really stressed out and I saw my identity oftentimes as a martyr that I had to make this thing successful. And and, and that's why I'm saying I took this trip when I was 31 and I started asking myself, okay, well, if I achieved, if I had achieved right now everything I wanted to in life, how would I feel? And can I give myself permission to feel that along the way, even knowing I haven't achieved that yet? And that was a big mindset switch for me. And so, you know, today, most of what I try to do, like my, my why is a combination of I want to be happy. So I started this company in large part to get to work with people that I really love. Because if I get to spend my day doing something that I think is cool and fun and get to work with people that are my friends and that I learn from and are smart, that's a big thing for me. And, and then the second part of my why is I want to feel like I use my full. Set of potential to do the most that I can in this world, whatever that is. So whether that's in the context of business, or my family, or maybe one day in politics, I feel like anybody that's born like I feel like anybody that's born in the United States in the last you know 30 years, like you've already won the lottery. Or like it. if you're healthy and you're born in the United States, literally 95% of the people that have lived in the history of the world would trade places with you. So you won the lottery of life just there. And you know that in my case, like I was born into an absolutely crazy nutty family, but, you know, there were advantages and was a loving family and I have my health and, you know, I have relatively good intelligence, like moderate, like <laughs> moderate to slightly above moderate. And, I'd say
0: above. <laughs>
1: thank you. And I just feel like if you're given certain opportunities and gifts – why not do all you can with them to make the biggest difference in the world? And I, I have no judgment of what people should do. I think people need to define that for themselves. In my case, I define that as trying to just kind of make the world a better place, a little bit lighter place, a little bit happier place, and, and help other people achieve their dreams. And I, my scorecard in life is very much connected to how many other people I can affect and help them accomplish the things that they want to do along the way. And I also fundamentally believe that the more people I help along their path, the more I'll be rewarded, whether it's emotionally or financially, as well, too. And so that combined with just wanting to be happy, you know, and just focus more on happiness and less on how much money am I making, or um, you know, how do people perceive me, or am I like the biggest and best and most successful person in the world? Um, th- that's my why these days.
0: Well, definitely lots of points on your scorecard today because I know that you've helped many, many, many people listening, myself included. So thank you for that. And as a fellow late bloomer who also felt like didn't belong and awkward and uh, was looking to be part of that popular crowd I'm with you in that, you know, it's great because in a lot of ways it drives us. And at the same time, it's awesome to have a slower build and peak later in life because I think it gives tremendous perspective. So thank you for for really not only helping people, but being so self-reflective because I can tell that the work that you've done on yourself and in your own awareness impacts the work that you do in the world. And you really are living a very congruent life. And that's very inspiring and very impactful.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, you've got this really cool women's retreat coming up in September. I don't have the right anatomy to qualify <laughs> for it, but if you start doing retreats. that are more gender-inclusive. I'd love to come, and I'm sure it's something that anybody listening to your podcast would get a tremendous amount of... Value from so I'm kind of jealous of your listeners because they, they get to go on your retreats and I don't.
0: <laughs> well, the men don't yet, but I'm going to be doing a male female retreat in 2017. So you'll be we'll on the sign front. me up. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll sign you up. Thank you so much, Jason. And people can go and connect with you at jasonazar.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Any other places that they can they can go to comparably.com.
1: Go to comparably.com to, you know, get the information on salary and, and see how companies are rated. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jason Azar. You can go to JasonAzar.com and see the videos and contents I put out. And then, you know, it's got all the forms and stuff to contact me individually there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.